You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. Today, we're talking to Jake Jorgovan, founder of Lead Cooking Content Allies, about thought leadership and prospecting. Thought leadership is a really interesting topic to me because there's a lot of talk out there around what a thought leader is and should salespeople be thought leaders and should you have a thought leader at your company and I have a lot of questions around because I believe that we use thought leadership at Blissful Prospecting. I post on LinkedIn about prospecting and sales. People find that, they sign up on our website and they want to talk to me about prospecting. So thought leadership works from a prospecting standpoint. But what I've always been curious is, do you have to, like, what is thought leadership? <laughs> I guess that's the that's the big question I have. And before we dig into that, I'm, I'm your host, Jason Bay, and you're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And in this podcast, I share tactics and strategies to help you set more meetings with your ideal clients by sending better cold outreach. And that's what we're going to be talking to Jake Jorgovan today about. And I'm really excited because he has some really great experience as a founder of two awesome cookie uh, cookies, uh, Lead Cookies is one of his businesses, but two awesome companies, Lead Cookie, where he has a lot of experience prospecting and setting meetings for customers and has grown that business very quickly. And then his business content allies is all about how businesses and, and consultants and, and people like that can leverage thought leadership in their sales process and to get better leads. And one thing that I talked to Jake about is what is thought leadership and how can you do that as a salesperson? And he talks about how you can really leverage it with outbound. So how you don't need to have like a book or a podcast or anything like that to be a thought leader. We also talk about how he made his first outbound sales in college, which I thought was hilarious because he was guessing email addresses and stuff like that and sending cold email campaigns before there were a lot of tools to get email addresses. And the big thing that we dig into also is, is trends with outbound. So he's been doing outbound for a long time and I've been following his work for three or four years now. But he talks about just what how outbound has changed in the last three or four years. And what you're going to get from this is some really practical things that you could start doing right now to leverage thought leadership in the prospecting process. So make sure to check out the show notes at blissfulprospecting.com for uh, seven, slash seven, excuse me, for a quick uh, show notes summary and also links to go check out Jake's stuff. You'll find a, a bunch of other really great resources there for free on our website. One of them is on the reply method, which is a messaging framework for writing better cold emails and making better cold calls. So you definitely need to make sure to check that out at the website. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So Jake, I was watching this video that you did. I forget who it was for, but it, cause I was doing some uh, snooping around on, on YouTube about you. And it was like five years ago, you were talking to a group. I don't know if you remember about your lifestyle. And I was really curious. I think this might be a good place to start because the whole working without pants thing, you were talking about, hey, I have this lifestyle. Now we're going to just travel, and, like work from a computer and all this stuff. How did that get started? Uh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm, I'm in the Tim Ferriss boat of reading the four hour work week. And I think some people read yeah. that and they're like, that's kind of cool. And they do like one little trip and I just kept going. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think I'm like, six years or so into this i'm currently in bucharest romania like all recording this and oh cool i've just kind of kept going and traveling but um yeah just all started with the four-hour work week and uh just got to stay committed to that lifestyle just love it so so when you read the four-hour work week were you 
like, hey, this sounds really good. And then the first you were thinking, like, how do I actually apply this? Because I don't sell like a fitness supplements yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is that Tim Ferriss was selling. Yeah, I had my uh, <laughs> my failed attempts at doing like PPC ads to my my concept was a sock subscription service. Um, and yeah. that totally failed and was really stupid, but like it just got me into the world. And then at some point I was just like, what I wish you had just said in that book is like, just sell your services remotely and yeah. that's the fastest way to work remotely. Like I wish you had just said that because like that would have probably saved a ton of people a lot of heartache because just like, you know, yeah. services or consulting is always a faster way to make a living than building like a supplement or product or some other physical business, which is kind of what he talks about in the book. So, yeah. He also made drop shipping sound like the easiest thing in the world to do. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to drop ship. I could just create a blog <laughs> and then all of a sudden people will come and I can do the, all these affiliate you know, kind of stuff. So, um, but you have a really interesting background from what I've seen and heard because I've been following, we were talking before we started recording, I've been following your stuff quite a bit. And one of the things that's really interesting when you do these interviews is I feel like I've talked to you a lot, but we've only actually talked one other time uh, prior to this. So I'm curious because you've had a lot of different roles and it looks like you started your first business in college. How did you get into like doing outbound though? And like, how did you get into sales? Cause you do a lot of different stuff. It looks like, and have a lot of different passions and you travel. How did all of this stuff get started and how did you transition into, into sales? Yeah. So basically, um, started cause I, I guess in college, my first business was, um, video production agency. So we did graphics yeah. for stage productions. Um, and basically what ended up happening is I went, I had a partner that I was 50, 50 with, and this guy was like a technical genius and just like was awesome at video. And it quickly became like to a point where like, we were like 50, 50 in the business, but I was just like, wow, you're doing all this awesome work. And I'm just like an idiot learning from you. Um, but I can go sell stuff. And he was not good at that. So that's kind of like where I started with it um, and how I just got into sales is like I realized like where I could pull my weight was going out and getting the work. And that was also where I had my first real like experience with Outbound. My first ever experience with Outbound was um, actually I was pitching uh, where we started our business. Like the very beginning, we would film senior recitals um, for music majors at our college. And because all okay. of the students had the same email format, I could look up the recital schedule <laughs> and then use their names. And I would cold email all the students and sell them recordings of their recitals. Uh, so that was... Also- Dude, that is awesome. <laughs> so how did you come up with that idea? Because that was... When I started doing Outbound, it was like 2014, 2015. And there was like this app called Reportive. Uh, yeah. And you could use it to guess and it would tell you... Well, it didn't actually tell you if the email was right, Not but the person's recorded. LinkedIn profile yeah. would pop uh, pop up. So how did you even get that idea? That's that's really funny. Uh, I don't know. It was just like, I just, someone hired us for a recital at some point. And then I was just like, oh, how do I, I'm going to get all the recitals. And so like, <laughs> I just spammed every music major at my college and we made a ton of sales. But then like that evolved and eventually I basically did the same thing for like stage productions. And that's when I ran like a dream 100 campaign. Um, to like the top event companies in the country because mm-hmm. we were doing like again my partner was like awesome at his work so we were doing really really cool work um, and really like kind of cutting edge in this like projection mapping field so I like I went out and like we ended up the the first deal that the company won as a result of this outreach was like Walmart's corporate conference and it came oh, from wow. just like cold outreach and just like relentlessly going after these people 
Um, and so then at some point I like, was like, wow, that was like a lot of value that created from doing that. And that's kind of, uh, where the outbound consulting started. So that's like kind of the, the journey, I guess, of how I got into all of that. Mm-hmm. What year was the, when you were doing the mass outreach to your fellow students, what year, what year roughly was that? I graduated in 2011. So that would have probably been 2009, 2010, 2000. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we're about the same age actually then. Yeah. If you, I didn't graduate from college, but I should have graduated I tried to drop out and my parents wouldn't let me and I regret that. Oh so. man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, Okay, so 2009, 2010, I'm thinking of, like, what was the state of outbound at that time? Because that was when you could still, like, if you found a way to get a big list and you could mass blast people, the volume really was the name of the game back then, right? If I could get the quantity really high and I had a list, I was going to get a lot of results from that list if the email was even remotely interesting. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I probably didn't get into the mass game, like, I straight up did like hand email campaigns for years and it was probably not till 2015, 2016 that I actually started getting into any sort of like software of like volume based outreach. Um, I did a lot Mm -hmm. of it by hand. It would like literally kind of customize each one. And at some point where I realized I was like, oh, that actually probably isn't always driving the value that I think it is the customization. Um, but yeah, that was kind of, I guess, where I started. And even like when then after like my agency, I was doing like digital marketing consulting, was doing outreach even for like web design, which is like super hard and was getting customers through that as well. But um, yeah, I did a lot of it by hand for a while and then eventually got into the the consulting side of things. But yeah, that, that Walmart deal that we got was like literally from like, here, here's a hundred prospects. We're going to research every prospect and we're going to hand write every single one. Um, and I still yeah. think there's like that, there's always value for that. Like, it's not always easy, but like if the deals are big enough, like that approach is still like an amazing way to go. So, yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, I kind of glossed over, you said, Hey, I won this, you know, deal with Walmart. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's cool. Anyways, <laughs> you know, uh, I think a lot of people would want to hear that. I'm, I'm really curious too. Um, what was the approach? You said dream 100. How did you get the idea because I know Chet Holmes talks about that in Ultimate Sales Machine. I don't know if that's yeah. where you heard about it, but how did you get the idea to put together a Dream 100 list? And would you mind sharing a little bit more about, you know, why did you choose to dial it back and take more of this like quality approach? Yeah, so I, I think it very much depends on the type of business. But for somewhere along the lines, I hadn't even read Ultimate Sales Machine, but I think somewhere in my like business, I was doing like some EO catalyst. Someone probably introduced me to the Dream 100 concept, and um, I literally found a list of like the top 100 event producers in America. I was like, all right, cool. There's a, a list to go for, for. And so we went through that, literally like hand researched everyone. I think we got it down to about 65 that were like the best fits for us. And then we were just like, all right, so this is like our universe of like the best people in the world that can hire our firm. And we started basically like we literally like had a team member go through and we just had this massive Google Doc with like all the companies. And then it was like, all right, like find this stuff, like find all this information. Then like what other things can you find? Like who are the decision makers? Like what are cool projects they've done? What are some of the other stuff that you looked for? Because this is another, what I like talking to you about is like, 
because you run lead cookie, you've seen all of this stuff going on with prospecting and how it's shifted in the last three years. And I'm sure you get a lot of people asking you questions about their challenges. And this is usually where it starts is how do I find, how do I know if a company is a good fit or not? Like what were some of the things that you were looking for? Yeah. For us, it was like, they're just like, they were doing the kind of work that was, that was on our level. And so it was just like, it's always hard. Like for us, we were in like kind of the creative, like the video agency. So you could look at someone's portfolio of events and we could kind of validate that. But then we'd also use their portfolio of events. And like, we'd almost always compliment like their work. And that's a cool thing you can do anytime you're reaching out to agencies or like any site or like a port company with a portfolio is just like complimenting the stuff they've done. And like that actually showing, Hey, you actually went to your website. And like the first line of my sentence is like, Oh, that project you did for so-and-so was awesome. Like that is like it's just a signal right out of the gate that like, hey, this is. Do you find that that works really well still too? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it shows that. Me too. Yeah, it, it's like not canned. Like it actually, there's some like thought that went into this email. So, um, yeah, that that, that stuff I think found worked quite well. So you're looking at like the company's portfolios and things like that. Was there anything else that you're looking at? Like, hey, how did Walmart end up on that list? I guess is the big thing. And one other thing, if you wouldn't mind sharing too, is, I mean, you had the balls to reach out to Walmart too. And that's something that, (laughs) you know, I would be thinking, you know, oh God, like I just started a business. Like they're way, why would they ever want to work with me? I'm like, I'm a small timer. You know what I mean? So to clarify, so we, it was the, is the event producer that handled Walmart's conferences every year that ended up being the company that hires us and pulls us in to like work on that event. But they were again, like, this was probably one of the top 10 event producers in the country. So they were at like the top of that list. Yeah. And it was just like going out in front of them and being like, this is our portfolio. This is what we do. And it was like, I think from the point of outreach to closing the deal, like I literally even like exited the company before it like fully closed because it was like over 18 months, like from that initial outreach. And it was like staying in front of them every month staying in front of them, getting a demo, meeting them in New York and meeting them again. And like, just like all of these yeah. things. So it was like this super long, long process um, to get that to go forward to a close. But um, it was kind of just getting on someone's radar and then being there for when the buying cycle was right as well. Cause it was just super long buying cycles in the event industry. Things are planned, you know, a year in advance or that's when things start planning and vendors are chosen. So it was a super long cycle. It took a lot of patience too. Yeah. It seems like outbound is something that is pretty instinctive for you. <laughs> if I want to get reach out, if I want to get this company's attention, I should reach out to them. For someone that's maybe listening to this and it's not so instinctive, uh, instinctual, I guess. Instinctive, I don't think is a word. Actually, I don't. I don't know what I was. I tend to do that sometimes. Um, so for someone that's maybe a little apprehensive about it or has some fear around that, uh, what, what what do you recommend? for how to approach and really kind of flex that outbound muscle a little bit more and be a little bit more, well, hey, I'm just going to reach out to them and let let them know what we're up to and see if I can help them versus a lot of the approach is very passive, I've noticed. It's it's almost like it's bad to do, to call cold call someone these days for some reason. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, um, and I think we get people get a bad rap on it is like they just get hit by so many spammy people that are just like blasting everybody and it's frustrating and so they're afraid of like falling into that bucket but like 
if you're serving, like, it's like the whole kind of like a doctor analogy that I always kind of look at is like, yeah. if you're a doctor and someone is sick and you can actually help them, then like, it's your duty to like, be like, hey, let me help you. And so I always kind of take it that with like sales where it's like, if your product or your service, whatever you're doing is actually helpful to someone, you're doing them a favor by reaching out to them and trying to get them in front of you. Uh, I get them on like in, on your plate. There, there's, you know, there's things, there's, there is outreach that I find really annoying. I got like the backlink people that reach out to me and try to get stuff on my blog. That doesn't yeah. really provide value to me. And I find that annoying. But like when someone reaches out and they've actually got something interesting, you know, someone's reaching out and they're offering the, like themselves as a guest and it's actually relevant, like a podcast or someone has something like, I'm not going to, you don't, you don't respond to everyone, but like if it hits the pain point that you have, then like there's kind of an interest there. Like there was a guy that reached out to me the other day about like, he's like, I guaranteed placements and like these publications and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's actually like kind of interesting. Cause like my clients at content allies like want that and like, all right, maybe there's something here. And so it's like, if it actually is relevant and fitting, I think it's actually beneficial to the person. Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. The mindset the mindset is kind of a harder thing to teach when it comes to outbound. And I think that a lot of people don't really talk about it much, but I don't know. That's like probably two thirds of the battle, you know, is like what you got going up here and then it's what you say and how you say it and all that other stuff. But, um, one thing I want to ask you about is when, cause you've been doing this for so long. And again, it, se- it seems like it's really kind of instinctual thing for you to do. Was there ever a time that you struggled with outbound or didn't really understand a part of it, anything like that or any challenge that you had? Um, I think probably like the, the most challenging time I had with outbound, like there was my period of like dream 100 and like crushing it. And then like when I started consulting, I had a bunch of failures and, and I didn't understand why I was failing at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was like a number of things that led to that. One was just thinking, like reading all the blog posts and like, here's the, the top outbound scripts, like use these templates and you're guaranteed success. Like at the time, the guy had that like breakthrough email course and like, yeah. it was like everyone was using the same thing. And then I, like, yeah, in the, he's still selling the courses. Uh, I still get the email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like trying to just like think, oh, that was going to work. And like not using my human judgment uh, was like probably one thing. And then that was like definitely a big piece. And then the other thing that I don't think I realized when I started taking on clients, cause I got into consulting um, and doing this for others was like outbound is not the same for everybody, you know? And, and like someone's value proposition, someone's social proof, someone's portfolio is the same. And like your outreach efforts are multiplied by the offer that you have, the industry that you're in and like all of these other factors that are not just tied to your skills as like the person running outbound, like you can do the best you can, but industry targeting um, and just like those, the, what like assets you have to work with at the company, just multiply everything and they can be, they can bring it down or they can bring it up and not realizing that like led to me just having this heartache of like, why am I failing? Like uh, at like some of the campaigns before I realized, Oh, I just have to sign the right customers. And that was like, the shifting point where things started to get better when I realized like commodity offers are really hard to do outbound for. Oh man, this is so big. We went through a very similar thing. I was reading your blog on that actually. And I was like, Oh, other people go through this too. And with blissful prospecting, our first year 
in business, we were a done for you prospecting and appointment setting, sort of like what you're doing at Lead Cookie. And we noticed the same thing. There was this niche of business owners that could afford our service, but didn't have good product market fit. Uh, what we're going to talk about here today is thought leadership. They had no thought leadership, not creating any content, and they weren't good salespeople. So we'd tee up these appointments for them, and they wouldn't close them. Or when people went to their website, they were really confused about exactly what they did and if it was for them. And I had the like the most amount of like imposter syndrome around that because I was like, God, I know that I know what I'm doing because I can make this work for myself. And there's a few clients we have that it, this works extremely well for, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you brought up a really good point where you said like when I brought bring on the right customers and before we get into thought leadership, I want to sort of dive into that with you a little bit around because salespeople experience the same thing where they are pushing too hard for a sale with someone that's really not going to be a very good fit. How do we approach that? Like, how do we know if someone's a good fit? Is there a framework that we should apply? Like, what are some of the questions maybe you're asking yourself or some of the things you learned? Yeah. So I think like what makes a fit for every company, company definitely differs. I'll share like for yeah. For lead cookie, I guess what we made a fit for like a successful outbound campaign, which I think also just be helpful, like is like a um, a strong value proposition is a, a first point that they need to have. The only thing that can offset a weak generalized value proposition tends to be social proof. Um, so yeah. we've had some generalists, but they had amazing social proof and case studies. And so sometimes we could lean on that and still get some good results. Um, and then the other point was just a high customer LTV. Um, just because, again, outbound, you know, it costs a decent amount to run with a service like ours and stuff. So we just need to make sure that they have a high enough sale. So we get like a lot of SaaS companies that, you know, might have a 1K, 2K a year customer value. And like that kind of stuff is just it's it's, not gonna it's work. hard to do on outbound, you know. So, yeah, because yeah. you need to do so much personalization these days to cut through the clutter. And it just doesn't make sense with the amount of effort yeah. for something. Those could like work if you ran it from. internally. If you could do that with kind of like sweat equity, but it definitely would be hard to ever make a profit on an external provider with a a price point like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So where does thought leadership play into this? And a good place to start, I I think that I always have a question about that. We talked about is like, what the fuck is thought leadership? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone talks about it right now about uh, thought leadership. And I believe thought leadership is part of this wave of what I'm calling outbound 3.0 where you need something a little bit extra to cut through the clutter. It can't be, hey, I saw you're a Dodgers fan. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I hit you up on LinkedIn and then email and then phone. Like All of that stuff is like those tactics are starting not to work as well anymore because everyone is able to do it pretty easily. But this thought leadership thing is really interesting because that is like something that can completely differentiate you, in my opinion, as a company. But what is content allies? uh, What are you doing with content allies and what... Like, what is thought leadership? Yeah, so the way I look at thought leadership is like sharing, like thought leadership comes from people that are already experts in their field. And so like you can't just, you know, start just saying I'm a thought leader and like it's easy for anyone to kind of call themselves that. But like where it really comes from is when someone is a leader, someone is an expert, they're doing really well. And then they start like teaching or sharing what they learn, sharing the industry trends that they're seeing, they start sharing kind of um, just educating, um, putting their ideas and their like opinions out there. Um, so it's like thought leadership tends to be a lot of times contrarian. 
Um, there's actually a, I was talking to one of our customers today uh, who's doing a great thing where he's going and he's just like doing 15 minute calls with a bunch of VPs at big companies to like learn their problems and their priorities and like making like a trend article about like what he's seeing in the industry from like the other VPs. So it's this, you know, it, it's content marketing and like, you know, what's the blind between just content and thought leadership. It's very fuzzy, but I would say like the biggest things is that it's high quality. It's not filler content. It's high quality educational content that educates people, shares an opinion and takes a point of view. Yeah. Why is this important for outbound? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing with it is when like with outbound, like we've seen just from all the campaigns that we've run, customers with content perform better because when like someone when you reach out to someone like online, they're going to research you. Like, you know, like if they're not meeting you face to face, like you've got to build trust and people don't just like get an email and then go buy from some email without ever doing background research, you know, that's like that'd be like a great way to get scammed. So they're going to do their like research yeah. on you and everything. And so having like good quality content that resonates with someone when they land on your site, um, like that is just like massive. Like the number of um, content allies deals where like I'm doing outbound and then someone's like, oh, like, you know, I just went going through your site, read your articles or like this really like, like people will comment on that and literally say that like the content is what led to them actually responding. Um, and so just realizing that people are going to research whenever you reach out and having content prepared for that. Um, I think that that's one of the biggest ways that it affects outbound by building that trust. Yeah. I love that. Cause it's one thing I always talk about with outbound is having more empathy. And if you think about it, the user experience from someone on the receiving end of outbound, a cold email or a cold call is I automatically don't trust you if I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Well, so if I'm at all interested, I'm going to look for things to see if I can trust you or not. And what I'm hearing from you is like, hey, having content, especially the, the the amount of content that like you have, for example, on your site, you can see there's a track record here. This person's been doing this a while. They seem to know what they're talking about, that kind of thing. So, God, there's so many directions that we can take this. But I, I think one really practical thing is... Because if I'm a salesperson, what I'm thinking is, do I need to be a thought leader? So does the person doing the outbound need to be the thought leader in order to benefit from thought leadership? Um, I think it still can definitely work if, you know, if they're if they're a salesperson at a larger company, you can still benefit yeah. from having that, even if it's coming from the leaders of the organization, it's able to kind of share your business's best practices. Um you know, I, I think an easy way, just because, you know, for a lot of salesperson, maybe they can't publish articles on the blog at their company or anything like that. So another angle is just even LinkedIn content as a, as a starting point. Yeah. Like that's something that's within everybody's control. And even if you're just kind of curating or resharing posts, like that's better than nothing. Um, yeah. and, and then, you know, content on the website, I think is a bigger amplifier, but, you know, LinkedIn content is almost like that smaller place that anybody can start with. Yeah. So are people... Like with what you're doing with Lead Cookie with LinkedIn, are you sending these articles or posts to people like in a message, or are you counting on them to look at it after the fact? Like, what's the what's the process typically? Yeah, so our typical approach, um, we prefer not to just blast out the articles um, yeah. on LinkedIn, just especially because like the thumbnail expands on LinkedIn, and then it just like gets really huge, and so. Uh, we typically will say, Hey, like, so one of my like best converting messages right now 
is, hey, I have a case study on how we helped a consulting firm generate over a million in revenue with, uh, with content marketing. Would you like me to send it to you? And that gets a ton of people that are interested. I've converted customers off of that because it's like, hey, here's this distinctive result for a customer that is just like you who I'm reaching out to. Would you like me to send it to you? They say, sure. And then I send it and then I kind of will personalize my follow-up on that and kind of talk about their company. I'll often like audit their site and see if they're doing content whenever I respond in that too. Um, but that's like one angle that we often take. So um, yeah, we find that just like blasting out a link to an article doesn't go too well because like the thumbnail expands and it shoves the message off the screen. And yeah. um, so often just trying to kind of like sell the content and then asking if they would like to receive it we found that's a good way to kind of get someone responding and engaging in conversation. Yeah. Everything you say, man, is like, you're always thinking about the prospect. You're always thinking about their experience, which it's so important because a lot of times when we do this, we don't think about what, what it's like on the receiving end. So that little thing there where you notice that it pops up is I unknowingly, uh, or I guess subconsciously skip through LinkedIn messages without even thinking about it. If I have to scroll too far or if there's an image, a thumbnail that pops up, I'm just conditioned right now to know that it's probably spammy. So I don't even, I don't even look at mm -hmm. it, which is really, which is really interesting. So this, what you said there too, that I caught is you essentially kind of do a double opt-in. So is that a technique that you see working pretty well uh, just with outbound in general, but also with this thought leadership thing like making sure I'm not shoving the information like down your throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we found it works just like really well because like what we found, like so we had um, one of our customers, like we had this one guy who was just like a freaking awesome sales guy and uh, he was working with us and we did this case study approach for him and like the whole mentality that he took um, and he kind of like his great salesmanship almost showed us how well this would work, but his was like, all right, if someone says, yes, I want to see a case study and they look like a good prospect, I'm just... At that point, I'm just going after them. Like we've done yeah. our like lead gen point to get them to raise their hand. And now they've said mm -hmm. they're interested. They look like a good fit. Like we're just gonna keep going after them. And he would just keep messaging them. He would email them, he would call them, and literally like converted hundreds of thousands of dollars off of these like this like case study approach. Um, often from what was just like a sure, send it to me. Like, like from that response, just like would stay on top of people until he like got people to convert through. Um, so that's like, again, just like a, a, an angle I think just can work really well if you take that, like get someone to raise their hand approach and then like yeah. double down with customized, personalized outreach after that. So don't try to automate after that point. So, okay. Yeah. So he's going after them manually. He sees a hand goes up and I'm, he's like, okay, now I'm going to spend extra time. Uh, I call it following the engagement, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, for email, it's wait for someone to open up an email before you call them, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So uh, really cool. So back to thought leadership. So it sounds like the point here is that I'm creating content. I'm not just like shoving this content down people's throats. I am asking them and trying to do something intriguing to get them to, to say yes, right? Get, so getting that little micro yes. And you said, if I caught this right, uh, thought leadership was, hey, you need to be doing well. It's about teaching and educating and then having like a contrarian typically, uh, typically point of view. So where do we start with this if we're a company, let's say, that's maybe doing some of this stuff, like we're putting out good content, but if we're relying on our sales reps to go out there and be the ones that are actually landing these meetings, 
is there anything we should be thinking about on a company level? Like, how do you formulate a point of view? I think that's a question that a lot of people have is like, they have the expertise and they're sharing the results, but it's like, okay, there's two or three other competitors of yours that are doing the same exact stuff. And I've personally noticed being more contrarian with my content as dude, it's like 10 X the amount of views and engagement in our leads and everything. So that was a really long winded way of asking, how the hell do you come up with your point of view? (laughs) And, um, and like, what's a good practical starting point for that? Yeah. I think at a company level, like, uh, the salespeople may not want to hear is that this often comes from marketing, but uh, yeah. like one of our customers that I think does this very well, um, they have like kind of branding guidelines and they have, um, really like what their like beliefs are and what their like mission is and what they're, you know, focused on and what, and the kind of like their gray lines of what not to touch. Um, mm-hmm. and so like they come to mind as one of it's, it is definitely a harder thing, especially in a larger company to like where those lines cross. But I think if you're like a, a sales team leader or anything like that, it's like you you, you kind of know where your company sits and it's probably better to kind of ask for forgiveness kind of thing. But, you know, just to kind yeah. of push that or try to push some, you know, trends or different ideas out there and everything. But it like and like we've done um, content analysis, I think we've created over 3000 LinkedIn posts at this point. And we found there was wow. like no trend across um, content that was like the format, like images, you know, anything like that, basically like posting a link was the only thing that killed engagement. Otherwise images, text posts, videos, like would not massive difference in engagement. But like the biggest thing we found was this soft, like contrarian, like opinionated point of view. Like that is what drives engagement up and gets things reshared, gets more comments versus just, you know, putting out education, just, you know, kind of curating or sharing something, you know, being pretty neutral. Um, yeah, definitely like it, it, it does not get as much. So that's, um, it's kind of hard to say at a bigger company, the best way to approach it, but, uh, cause everyone's got their own kind of communication. Yeah. Well, let's talk about these 3000 posts. Cause that's a lot of data points. And I've noticed personally noticed cause people ask me, well, Hey, Jason, what about text posts versus video versus like I started, I did a slide post yesterday and it really took off and I'm like, you know, I don't really think that the, like how you write the post it really makes that much of a difference. I really believe it's always come down to the quality of the content and like, what's your point of view? That seems to be where everything stems from. Is there anything else that you've noticed in these 3000 LinkedIn posts you've looked at that is maybe a little bit against the grain of what people might normally think or is a misconception that people have about using LinkedIn as a way to build thought leadership. Yeah. I think like the biggest thing we saw that just like, it's kind of like it shocked us all. Like we, cause we had all this and like we structured and like we ran our metrics every week and we're like, we're going to analyze this and see what trends we see. Mm-hmm. And it really just came down to like the good content is like what worked. And there was no trend. It was just like, all right, we looked at like our top 25 posts that had gotten like, you know, thousands of views each and like had done way better than most of the average posts. And it was just like, okay, so there's like an even mixture of text posts. There's an even mixture of graphic posts. There's an even mixture of videos. There's even some links in there. Like it was just like, there wasn't a huge trend other than it was just really great content. And I think the only soft thing we could say was it was more opinionated contrarian viewpoints that got people engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like really shocking to us that that like 
there was no framework. There was no formula. We even tried, like we looked at and analyzed those, like does tagging people, you know, is that going to help, you know, um, increase engagement? Cause, um, you know, that we do that in some of the posts and while that may kind of help relationally, we found that that didn't actually wasn't a huge factor in any of these posts getting any bigger than the others. So it was this interesting thing to say, like it all just comes down to the quality of content and that the algorithm is also just kind of always in flux. And so like yeah. anyone that tells you any one particular tactic or thing works better, it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be in flux and probably change pretty quickly. So. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. What's, so in terms of point of view and being contrarian, do you have any tips for how we can do that? Cause I get asked that a lot too. And it took a long time for me to actually figure out how to be more opinionated because for whatever reason, I didn't think I really had a strong opinion or was, you know, really emotional about that opinion. I'm very, you know, sort of, Hey, I believe this, you know, kind of thing. What's a tip or two that you have for someone that wants to be a little more contrarian in the stuff that they're, that they're sharing? Yeah, I think like a good question that we um, always ask our customers to kind of pull some of that out is like, what is something you believe that most others in your field would disagree with? Um, yeah. And that's a good question that you can have a lot of answers to. And if you just keep asking that question, there's probably like a lot of things that you're like, oh, well, I don't really, I see all these people that say that and that's kind of crap, you know, like, and you just like, you're going to get kind of like angry and feisty about stuff. But like, that's like, when you know when like you're like or like who like who annoys you or what annoys you about your industry like those are really good questions that'll kind of like prompt that kind of content posts that will get that type of you know contrarian viewpoint and everything there mm-hmm. so do you recommend looking at your competitors content and seeing what they post about and and seeing where you're very different from your competitors um I can't speak too much on that. Like I like, <laughs> despite the fact that I put out a ton of content, like I consume like none. Uh, I am very, very intentional about the small amount of content I consume, but like, uh, I don't really look into my competitors content. You know, if I do it, it's going to like, it's like from a specific tactical, like I'm looking to learn something specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, um, maybe, and this might be something that is, but I just, as a creator, like I just consume very little of others. Um, I try to just like study one thing a day, um, and then create based off of that. But I don't spend a whole lot of time consuming others or probably I don't look at much of my competitors content. I could, I'm not saying that's the best thing, but that's just what I do. So, <laughs> yeah. How do you get a feel for what's going on in the industry then so that you can be contrarian? Cause your stuff is very, it's very opinionated in a good way. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, I end up having a lot of conversations. Um, like I'm constantly yeah. on podcasts. I'm constantly having sales calls. Um, like a lot of my content just comes from calls with customers. Um, you know, I have, I do these like pick my brain sessions where people just hire me for to chat or like talk or get feedback on their business. And like those always end up seeding tons and tons of like content ideas. I'm in some communities that I'm in as well. And I see kind of questions or trends that people are doing or things there. And, um, I think that ends up seeding a lot of it. Um, and I also just try to look at like, where am I learning and struggling? Cause I feel like whenever I decide to write something or teach something or put it out there, it's almost like I have to like crystallize my learning. Um, and like, I just wrote a, an article I'll be going live in the next couple of weeks, all about like the, how to like rebuild a customer success plan for your business. And like, really think that through. And I was like, all right, this is like coming out of this like month long project of me trying to get this in place for content allies. 
And now it's like, I want to crystallize that and like teach that. So it's almost just like teaching as you're doing and as you're learning. Um, I find that that's a really good way to just keep a constant flow of content coming out as well and reinforce the things you're learning. Yeah, I love that. One of the things I saw that you wrote on the guide to this thought leadership guide was, I think you mentioned you had a client that made a habit of writing posts based on the questions they would get asked and created on an as needed basis. I thought that was really cool because if you're in sales, you're talking, hopefully you're having sales conversations, but you're talking to people on a regular basis and are pretty in tune with their challenges and things like that if you're asking the right questions. Yeah, and I, I, I totally picked that up and I adopt that. Like So like even last week at Content Allies, um, we had a call with a uh, consulting firm. It was like this huge, like really big deal, like huge customer. It could be really large for us. And this guy was like, oh, well, I've got to sell this internally. And these are like the objections and things that I think I'm going to get and like the challenges. And I was like, all right. So like we had our call Tuesday, we had our closing call Thursday or like the presentation. And I just like put together an article between now and then that like was an asset that he could take and share to his entire team that like hit on all the objections and everything he had. Um, And I think that that's like a super powerful way to create content because it's so targeted and specific. And if you created it that one time that you needed it, you're probably going to end up using it a bunch more times again. And that's like a way to create mini thought leadership, I guess, as a sales rep is you're having these conversations. That could be what your next LinkedIn post is about. Mm -hmm. Was the sales conversation that you just had. Um, Cool, man. Well, we got to take off here in a bit. I got two questions for you. One is what's an outbound play that you see working really well, either for yourself or your clients right now? Yeah. So, um, Two angles I'll share. Uh, one is, again, the one that I mentioned earlier, the case study approach, where we just offer mm-hmm. um, a specific case study that is rele- very relevant to that customer, basically a lookalike kind of case study. That is one, that play that works really, really well. And then another just kind of non-traditional one, I'll say, but um, doing kind of a networking content outreach. And by that would be yeah. um, either asking people to be on a podcast is one way, but even if you can't, like, you know, you don't have the ability or the leverage to do a full podcast, um, I kind of mentioned one of our customers has been, uh, he's like an HR consulting. And so he started reaching out to these like VPs and senior VPs at like Fortune 100 companies and basically saying, hey, I'm doing this survey, putting together a report on the trends and like what you know, the industry is struggling with in this type of this particular area. Can I get 15 minutes of your time to just like ask your questions and your priorities for this year um, to put into this research? And he's getting on like calls with like SVPs at like GE and like uh, 3M and like United Healthcare. And he like he's not an experienced outbound guy. He's just like a guy who's just doing that. But that's the interesting thing when it's like this content thing you're collaborating. You're going to make them look good by featuring them in this content. Um that is just a huge angle play. It's not a direct sale, but like it's amazing and it will lead to sales if you do. If you have enough of those types of conversations with that level of people, like it leads to great opportunities. Oh, those are awesome. That second one, I feel like is such a timeless play. Mm-hmm. That's been working for as long as there's been online content. People have been wanting to collaborate and have been totally willing to, to collaborate on that type of thing usually. So. Sweet. Before you take off, what's the best place for people to connect with you and follow you? And tell us a little bit more about what you do in case someone's listening and there might be a good fit for you to help them out. Yeah. So um, basically, uh, my blog and podcast and everything is at jake-jorgovan.com. If you try to just type that in J-O-R-G-O-V-A-N or any variant of that into Google, 
uh, hopefully that'll get you to my name. And otherwise, um, two other businesses are Lead Cookie um, and Content Allies, which is just leadcookie.com and contentallies.com are the two main companies that I run. Sweet. Appreciate you having me on, man. All right. Thanks for having me on here, Jason. It was fun. That was a really fun interview. I, I just always enjoy talking to people that are really into what they do. And, and Jake is very into what he does. And the big thing that I got from that is, I mean, the outbound plays are awesome. The case study approach, I really like. That's something we've used before. And I also like this idea of networking content outreach. And I think that's something with the whole coronavirus stuff right now that you can take advantage of too, is how can I collaborate with my clients to create content that I could use during the prospecting process? So make sure to join the conversation that we're having on LinkedIn about this and check out the stuff going on at the website for the show notes and some other free goodies to help you send better cold outreach. And that's at blissfulprospecting.com slash seven and tune in every day, Monday through Friday, we're releasing episodes and thank you before you take off, please subscribe and leave an honest review with what you think. So we can continue getting on great guests like Jake and I'll see you next time.